Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 200. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited that we are at episode 200 of the MCAT Cars Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in every week. If this is not your first time here, if this is your first time here, Welcome. You now have 199 other episodes to go listen to. Over the last month or two, if not a little bit more, we have been breaking down Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, which you can get for free at medicalschoolhq.net slash bpfree. Again, that's medicalschoolhq.net slash bpfree for Blueprint Free. Uh, With Full Length One, we're breaking down every question, every passage here and on YouTube so that you can see the actual passages and questions as we go through it so you can do them and get feedback as you go. Let's go and jump in. We're on Cars Passage 4. Fill back with another MCAT podcast, continuing our breakdown of Blueprint MCAT Full Length One cars section i i'm not having fun after last week's brutal uh just being destroyed by that that history passage hopefully this week is a little bit better yeah it's definitely a little bit different we're not doing like a heavy history thing although it is still kind of abstract like the previous one is about like what's the nature like why what is the point of history this one's also a little bit abstract going in as well um but maybe not quite as dry which might help a little bit So hopping in, uh, close reading is a methodological mainstay of the humanities. But what if it didn't have to be that way? The alternative paradigm of distant reading, most famously advocated for by scholars working at Stanford's literary lab, posits that humanists can apply digital analytics at scale to text to extract insights that would not be possible using traditional methodologies. Super like up there vocab wise. Just like looking at this passage, the sentence structure seems a little bit tricky. It's a little bit abstract as well. But we have this kind of like look at like close reading versus distant reading. Do I know exactly what they're talking about? No, no, I don't. I, I'm not really sure. But they're they're different. And the idea here is that according to Stanford's Literary Lab, we can use digital analytics, which would be distant reading, evidently, um, to extract insights that we couldn't normally get. So it's a new way of looking at like a, a, a piece of writing or something um, close versus distant. And evidently distant will use like computers to um, up analyze that. 
So this tension between close and distant reading, or as it is sometimes framed between yakking and hacking, has been source of controversy within the newly emerging field of the digital humanities. Although methodological disputes can seem like superfluous distractions from the business of getting stuff done, the yak-hack divide is very instructive to consider despite the difficulties of inferring what each side is arguing for on the basis of what they argue against. So very deep, like <sighs> definitely pretty abstract. Yeah. But like keeping in mind our goals here is so we're like going through the passage. I've got like clear objectives. I'm trying to find differing viewpoints, um, like contrast and opinions are the main things you want to kind of pull from this. And so we have this close versus distant reading which is also framed and called yakking versus hacking. And so it's really important in my mind to know close reading is yakking, distance reading is hacking, and there's some difference between them and probably some like pros and cons. Hopefully they'll dive in a little bit deeper as we go forward so we can understand what the heck it is that they're actually talking about in this close versus distant reading. So from the yakking point of view, merely focused, focusing on hacking, that is running analytics, building data infrastructure, and conducting statistical or computational analysis can seem like perhaps deliberate abandonment of all the careful work and theoretical reflection that made humanities a unique intellectual enterprise. So these are the viewpoints of the yakkers who are annoyed by all the hacking going on. In other words, without a careful interrogation of perspectives and power struggles at stake in a given corpus of work, and due consideration of the implications of digital methodologies as ways to construct and deploy knowledge in a world in which expertise and prestige cannot be separated from issues of identity and oppression, there would be no point to call this new enterprise humanities in any sense, digital or not. That is a long sentence. Um, just stepping back from it. Um, it's very easy to like lose the beginning part of that sentence. By the time you get to the end of it, you're like, I don't even remember what we're talking about. But basically the idea here is that these yakkers are annoyed and feel like we're actually losing the whole point of humanities whenever we, you know, just like analyze the text digitally. At the heart of this viewpoint is that real academic work is based on careful, painstaking, and perhaps even painful reflection regardless of the technological framework that one uses. So that's one side, this, this yacker viewpoint. <laughs> on, on the hacker viewpoint, which would be the distance reading, once again, while reflective practice is of course important, one must have something to reflect upon. That is the act of building the data infrastructure necessary to enable sophisticated computational analyses must proceed in-depth theoretical reflections on this latent assumptions buried in the infrastructure. So I'm going to point something out. As I'm reading this, we, we talked a little bit last week about how those really extreme answers where it's like, oh, this is entirely one way or, you know, never do this. I, I don't like those answer choices. Yeah. However, those extreme answers can be correct if the passage itself is extreme. Yeah. And so I note that in that third paragraph, that um, like second sentence, this act of building data infrastructure necessary to do all this stuff must precede in-depth theoretical reflections. And yeah. so according to these people, you have to have the data before you can reflect on it. Um, and that's not something that is up for debate. It's it must be done. So in a world of limited resources and time, prioritizing rigorous theoretical analyses over nitty gritty hacking can mean that nothing new will ever be built and the digital humanities will fail to develop into anything beyond a specialized extension of new media studies. In other words, only the humanities will remain, not the digital humanities. 
albeit with a slight expansion of scope to recognize that the media landscape has changed in the last half century. In some, more, in some sense, therefore, we can conceptualize the yak-hack divide as separating those who understand the word digital in digital humanities as referring to the object of study. The yakkers, from those who understand it as describing a novel method of study, the, the hackers. So um, that's actually like a really important contrast here. So they're saying that the yakkers or the close readers they're going to look at digital humanities and the digital in there is referring to what they're studying. So they're studying like blogs, for example, and that would be, they think digital is describing this, this, the object of the study Mm -hmm. versus the hackers are looking at the way that we study. We study it using digital techniques and that's like a separate thing. So they both view digital humanities as different things. However, We should not lose sight of the fact that the famous slogan, more hack, less yak, was developed (laughs) at least partially as a joke. And insofar as it was targeted negatively, it was intended as a satirical point about the egocentric, hierarchical, and dull way that academic conferences tend to be run. Some form of common ground can be found by recognizing that neither perspective, so this is sending off alarm bells, right? If, If you ever hear the author use the word recognize, that means that this is the author's viewpoint, right? Like if I say my brother recognizes the sky is blue, that means I think so as well. That's different mm. than if I say my brother claims the sky is blue. Yeah. So um, looking at this, uh, so some form of common ground can be found by recognizing that neither perspective excludes the other. That is not even the most adamant yacker would deny the computational analyses of large data sets can yield important insights. And no hacker would argue in favor of context-poor, garbage-in, garbage-out analyses that fails to engage with important critical issues. Thus, the emerging consensus quite reasonably points out that the field of digital humanities is broad enough for both approaches to coexist and even to learn from each other. So this is that last paragraph, super important, I think more important than like most of the stuff coming before, because we get a lot of the idea of how the author feels about this. Rather than just presenting these two viewpoints, we know the author thinks they both can exist and they both should and learn from each other. Um, so the author is pro hacking and pro yacking evidently. <laughs> yeah. All so, right. so I, I have to be honest, this is one of those passages where we just got done reading it and I have no clue what was said. Yeah. That, um, that kind of like glazing over sort of thing that we talked about a little bit at the end uh, of <laughs> last week's podcast. It's yeah. really easy to, to do that, especially if it's something that you're not particularly interested in. Um, I don't know if I am we, interested in, I don't understand yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is also just this like super abstract sort of passage. I actually think this is one of the harder ones from this exam. Um, Cause it's just so abstract. Um, but looking for, you know, focusing on the contrast between them, right? First paragraph, we have close versus distant reading. Um, and the distant one has, like some other ways of looking at this and then yakking and hacking, same thing. Um, and so they both look at these like humanities differently. The, we have an idea that the hacker thinks that we need to analyze stuff. The yacker just wants to do be very like in their head, analyzing stuff. And the author in the last paragraph says they're both good. And that's, that's pretty much it. Um, despite the horrible wording and like the abstract language and complex sentence structure and like very like abstract topic overall, focusing in on just like what are the differences will um, 
you know, like help you answer those questions, especially the really difficult reasoning beyond the text questions. Yeah. So let's, let's dive in. Maybe, maybe there are some times when you like read a passage and like, this is awful. And then you do the questions like, oh, that isn't bad. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. not always like that, but yeah. it does happen sometimes. All right. So question 19, it can be concluded that both hackers and yackers, A, believe that the digital humanities should analyze mechanisms of oppression. B, agree that both close and distant reading are useful ways of engaging with texts. C, support the concept of digital humanities as a distinct discipline. Or D, building data infrastructures and infrastructures should be prioritized. <sighs> Man, so we want something that hackers and yakkers have in common. I'm going to cross out B immediately because, right, that's the two different. Like one is close, one is yeah. distant. So they probably don't agree with that. Um Oh, man. Support. So I'm going to go back to, I think I highlighted it here. Yes. Um, the divide is separating those. Understanding the word digital and digital humanities referring to the subject, that's the yakkers, from those who understand it as describing a novel method of study, the hackers. Again, I still have no idea what close and distant reading means. I still don't really know what hackers and yakkers means because I was just too focused on every time you said yak i'm like thinking i picture someone throwing up i'm like this is <laughs> this is not helping my reading here um yeah so digital humanities right the 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 that's part of the yakkers is this digital humanities part um and so i'm gonna cross out that one because it seems like digital humanities is has only been focused on the the yak the yakkers so i'm gonna cross out a as well um, C, support the concept of digital humanities as a distinct discipline. Again, the digital part there is throwing me off. Uh, and building data infrastructure should be prioritized. I'm going to go with D just because the digital humanities seems to always point to yakkers. And so why would that be in common with yakkers, hackers? Yeah, so the data infrastructure, that to me seems like the way we analyze stuff, which is going to be like the hackers, right? The people who are like going through this. And it, it also helps kind of like going back to this first paragraph they say like close reading is this methodological mainstay, blah, blah, blah. The alternative is distant reading, which posits that humanists can apply digital analytics at text. So basically like a close reading is I think just like reading the book, like Yeast of Eden, right? I just read the book and like, how did it make me feel? And what did I get from that? And so that would be the yakking kind of way. I think just kind of like talking, like reading and that sort of stuff. Okay. First, the hacking would be like, if I plug that book into a like a computer and like it analyzed the frequency of certain words. And now I have some like data on this and I'm analyzing that. And I think that's the hacker um, kind of viewpoint overall. So looking, looking at that, that sentence, the one that you like zeroed in on that first sentence of the last paragraph. Yep. So the yak hack divide is separating those who understand the word digital as the object of the study, which is how the yakers look at it. So digital humanities, that's like, reading a blog article and like that is that would be like they look at the digital humanities where digital is talking about the object of study something digital in this case and we're separating that from those who understand it as a novel method of study which is the hackers and so the hackers are saying oh digital humanities that's referring to the way that we study the 
like the the article. So it, it's so eat, reading East of Eden, plugging that into a computer, that would be digital humanities, according to the hackers. The yackers would view digital humanities as reading blog articles, right, on your own. And so they both believe digital humanities exists, but they're both defining it different. One saying the object of study, two is saying the way that we study humanities. And so they both do are okay with that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad, and glad so you correct, think so. <laughs> yeah. So the correct answer here is going to be C. They both support the concept of digital humanities as a distinct discipline. However, they both think it means something different <laughs> than the other one does, um, which is kind of like funny okay. and weird. So I, I got down to a 50-50 at least. Maybe my my yeah. line of thought wasn't appropriate to cross out A and B, but I had a 50-50 shot. I'll take it. Yeah. And that's always a good place to be once you get down to that 50 50. Um, I mean, like you don't get penalized for getting a wrong answer. So if you had like 10 questions or 50 50, that means you probably got five questions there that you didn't actually like 100% know the answer to. Yeah. Um, which always feels good. I'll take it. All right. Question 20. Yeah. Question 20. So why does the author present the slogan more hack, less yak in the final paragraph? Um, a, to illustrate the underappreciated role of humor in academic discourse. B, to introduce historical background information undermining the false dichotomy between hacking and yakking. C, as a sign of support for the hackers in opposition to the egocentric, hierarchical, and dull yakking. Uh, D, to satirize a point of view that the author considers to be misguided. So when you actually go back to that sentence, it, it says that slogan was developed partially as a joke, and insofar as it was targeted negatively, it was intended as a satirical point about the egocentric, hierarchical, and dull way that academic conferences tend to be run. And so the answer choice D there, to satirize a viewpoint that the author considers to be misguided, seems to point to that. Um, a, to illustrate the underappreciated role of humor in academic discourse doesn't really mention that. B, to introduce historical background information undermining the false dichotomy, no. C, as a sign of support for the hackers in opposition to egocentric, hierarchical, and dull yakking. So C is interesting. Um So because it's pulling out those words directly in opposition to egocentric, hierarchical, and dull yakking, but I don't see, oh man, I, I don't know. So C sounds very good because it's pulling out those exact words, but I don't know right. if it's specific to support of hackers in opposition to the yakking or just to satir satirize, satirize. Uh, the viewpoint that the author considers to be misguided. I, I'm going to go with D because C, I think, is too specific, and I don't know if it pointed to that. Yeah. So looking at C, I like that you, like, that. that's hitting all the right words, right? The egocentric, hierarchical, and dull, hacking, yakking, like, all those are the right words. And so that does that thing we talked about, like, scratching this itch mm -hmm. in the back of your brain. Like, those are words. I know that. That's, <laughs> those are that's words. something that was in the passage. <laughs> I know words. And so you're, yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're tempted to choose those just because it scratches that itch. 
Um, however, the author doesn't really like take a viewpoint on which one's correct, yep. right? Like which one's good and which one's bad. As- especially like in that bit, it says that um, the famous slogan was developed as a joke and it was targeted negatively. It was intended to be satirical. The author isn't saying that's what I think about it, yep. right? And so going on, like the the end of the passage tells us that the consensus is like quite reasonably. So the author thinks that this is good and reasonable, points out that it's broad enough for both to exist. And so the author does not favor one over the other. And so the elimination of C is an answer choice, even though it's scratching that itch in the back of your brain is a, is a good idea. Yeah. The, the thing with D, though, is D has also got some viewpoint from the author there like yeah. to satirize I, th- I don't think the author is trying to say these people are misguided or that sort of thing because the author kind of says at the end that there's room for both um and so they both should exist so because the author doesn't take a viewpoint on good versus bad there uh, i'm gonna l- eliminate c and d um and so the correct answer here is b um which is kind of like to underline this false dichotomy, which is once again, the author's viewpoint of like, these both should exist. And so it's not like one versus the other. They're kind of both at the same time. Um, And so B is the correct answer. I also, like, I know that you didn't pick A, but I think A is actually the most commonly chosen wrong answer here. And so I think you're good at like avoiding this, but a lot of people feel like A is, is true, right? There, there, like there is some humor in academic discourse sometimes, and so you like you read an article and like there, like there's a sick burn in there that's kind of like just worded <laughs> in a way that's like not not super obvious. Um, and so A is something that you might feel, but there's nothing in the passage about how important humor is in academic discourse. Like that's that's way outside of scope of the passage, and so you want to not pick that. Um, but Something something to be aware of, nonetheless. Oh, getting destroyed here. All right. All right, question 21. Is it my turn? I don't want to go. Yep. <laughs> which, of the, <laughs> which of the following projects would the author most likely view as exemplary of promising research in the digital humanities? Roman numeral one a large-scale computational analysis of rhetorical changes in World Bank documents informed by critical theory perspectives on globalization. (laughs) Oh, Lord. Two, (laughs) an intricately coded database of changes in grammatical forms in an uh, archaic dialect of old Russian conducted to verify uh, assertions made by older scholars on the basis of less robust evidence. Shoot me now. Uh, Roman numeral three, an insightful exploration of how user interfaces in popular video games both reflect and shape assumptions about how humans interact with their lived environments. Answer choice A, one only, B, two only, C, one and two only, or D, one, two, and three. So I can get down from wherever I'm at, a 25% chance to a 33% chance potentially by looking at number three, because that's only in one answer. Um, An insightful exploration of how user interfaces in popular video games both reflect and shape assumptions about how humans interact with their lived environment. So just going back to what is the question actually asking? Uh, The question is asking what's, what would 
which project would the author most likely view as exemplary of promising research in the digital humanities? And so again, that digital humanities, I think is referring to that object of study versus the novel mm -hmm. method of studying. So the object of studying. Um, oh man, this is so hard. I don't like this. Uh, three, an insightful exploration of how user interfaces in popular video games both reflect and shape assumptions about how humans interact with their lived environments. That seems very interesting, right? It's this digital, right? Digital humanities. I don't know if that's like a trap, like, oh, video games, people are going to think that's digital. And so they're going to pick that one, but it kind of works. Um, I like I like answer choice C or answer choice three. So I'm going to go with D just because three seems like it's correct. Yeah, so this is a really interesting, <laughs> th I think this is like the like the hardest kind of question, because there's nothing in the passage about like old Russian, or video games, or World Bank documents, right? All of those are clearly outside the scope of the passage. So this is kind of an application question, which can be very difficult, because it requires you to, like, take what's going on in the passage and apply that to some other info. Um, so in a way, you do have to go outside the passage to answer this, but you have to answer it through the lens of the passage, not something that just makes sense, but something that is like supported through the passage itself. And so I actually had a really hard time with this one because a lot of times when they do that, those application questions, they give you an idea of what to look at, right? Like they would say, like, which of these is the best example of hacking or yakking? And then I go back and look for where they talked about that specific thing. But here we're just talking about like promising research. So in order for something like the author to agree it's promising research, this is probably something that hackers and yakkers are both going to agree on is good. Um, and they do mention something in that last paragraph about um, so some form of common ground can be found by recognizing that neither perspective excludes the other. That is not even the most adamant yakker would deny that computational analyses of large data sets can yield important insights. And so the author, so the yakkers, the people who don't like analyzing data, even they will admit that like computationally analyzing stuff will yield insights. And so based off of that, like I kind of like something that's kind of going on this like computational insights because that's supported by the passage itself. Um, and that definitely hits Roman numeral one, right? A large scale computational analysis, right? Like they're, that's even using like the right words there. Um, and so one I feel like has got to be true. So B's out. Looking at Roman numeral two, an intricately coded database of changes in grammar. There's, there's nothing in the passage about this. Um, and so like, I don't know if that's something that they would uh, agree with. And so I kind of want to eliminate two. But why, but see an intricately coded database is analysis. Like you, you can analyze a database. Um, you can analyze a database, but like coding a database is different than analyzing a database. And like, this is specifically talking about like coding, uh, and specifically coding grammar change. Well, no, because it, it tells you analyze. It's what it's specifically for conducted to verify, uh, assertions made by older scholars. That is analysis. Is it not? It, it would be, <laughs> but the, we have the idea that the author, I hate the car section. Yeah, we're looking for something that the author is going to say is good, right? And the author likes both the hacking and the yakking, but they need to be done together. And so one does have the analysis, two also has the analysis, 
But one is also like informing those analyses with like critical theory perspectives. And so that's a little bit of the yakking and the hacking at the same time. Versus two is really just like just hacking um, this like database and like verifying assertions and those sorts of things. It's not a lot of like thought going in other than just like the hacking side. Um, and three, I would say, is entirely yakking. There's no real analysis there, like computational analysis. Um, that's just like an insightful exploration on how people go through this. And so, like, notice that in all exploration of these Exploration is I'm, analysis. I don't, I, I completely, uh, I, I, I well, uh, object to this question. <laughs> yeah, I think you can explore something without, like, having data. Like, you can, like, philosophize through something and, like, well, you know, what is red? Um, and so you could do an insightful exploration of the thoughts about red without having data. Um, but oh. that's that's the philosopher in me coming out. No, um, this, this question is, notice, is, is yeah. uh, bad. It's a bad question. Yeah. Notice that <laughs> as I was talking through those, not once in any of my thoughts that I care at all about World Bank, old Russian video games. Like I, yeah. I'm like I'm stepping way outside of that because that's like way outside the scope of the passage. So those are just red herrings. So they will get Roman numeral one. I'm like, OK, computational analyses informed by critical theory something. Right. So you have analyses and then we're like, we'll, like looking at using some perspectives on globalization um, Two, entry coded database conducted to verify assertions. Right. Like that's that's just going to be the hacking insightful exploration on like that reflects assumptions, things like that. That's not really like computational analysis. Um, that's just like big picture thinking. I disagree. Um, so <laughs> I disagree. definitely tricky. Well, I, I want to know what what is the uh, what is the what are the analytics for this question? Can you pull that up? I, I want to know. Believe it or not, 86 percent of people get a. That's the correct Damn. answer All right. on this one. I, I stand corrected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it it kind of surprised me as I looked at this. Um, I'm like, wow, that students do really well on this one. Um, but yeah. All right. I, I think they get it. They get it be, luckily because of the same words, that computational analysis. I, I think that it scratches the itch and it happens to be right. I think that's yeah. why they get it right. Yeah. Yeah, there, there definitely could be something going on there with that. Note that the next question, according to the data analytics, this is a harder question. Um, <laughs> Great. All right. On the previous one, 80-some percent of students got it right. Now we have like 45% oh, wow. of students. So we'll see how this one goes. I think you'll actually probably like this one better and find it maybe a little bit easier. We'll see. Um, so question 22, what can be inferred from the passage about the author's views on effective argumentation? Okay, I take this back. This is not an easy question. Um, a, strong arguments push back directly against opposing points of view. B, a good argument should explicitly state its goals. C, historical context should always be used to resolve uh, apparent conflicts. And D, it is important to avo avoid false dichotomies and to seek common ground. Oh man, so D's D again is that scratch the itch thing because it it talks about this common ground, right? right. Reasonable points. Um, um, B and C both have this extreme uh, extreme language in it. 
a good argument should explicitly state its goals. I'm like, well, maybe it should state, but explicitly state? I don't know. It seems strong. An historical context should always be used to resolve apparent, apparent conflicts. Again, that's just that's one of those MCAT 101, like throw out the extreme answer. So B and C seem extreme to me. Yeah. I feel like especially C, like there's a difference yeah. between you should do something and you always do something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of things I should do. I definitely don't always <laughs> do them. So always doing is harder. Yeah. Um, it's a little so, bit more extreme. So A, strong arguments push back directly against exposing, po- uh, exposing uh, opposing points of view. I don't really know what that's saying. That strong arguments push back directly against opposing points of view. Um as opposed to weak arguments push back directly against opposing points of view. I don't understand yeah, I what that's actually saying. Uh, D, it is important to avoid false dichotomies and C, common ground. I'm going to go with D just because it seems like the most logical, but I don't know. Yeah, so if they asked about, like, how does he often feel about hacking and yacking, absolutely D. Um, you know, the, that's that's a viewpoint that we should evo- avoid. I think they even use the term false dichotomy um, in the passage itself. Um Maybe maybe I'm making that up, but I, I feel like I remember that. Um, but the, the the question here is asking about how does the author feel about arguments, right? And so there's got to be something in the passage where they talk about arguments. And they actually mention that in the last sentence of the first paragraph, right? Although methodological disputes can seem like superfluous distractions from the business of getting stuff done, the yak-hack divide is very instructive to consider despite the difficulties and inferring what each side is arguing for on the basis of what they argue against. So the author here is like, has a hard time figuring out what these hack yak people are talking about because they don't ever argue for something. They just argue against something. Um, And so that's something that the author has some difficulties with in figuring out what's going on with these arguments. Um, And so that's like a really tricky thing But the question, because like, what can be inferred about the author's view on arguments? Like, I'm going to go back to like, where are we talking about that in there? So we get the idea that the author doesn't like it when they don't say what they're arguing for. (laughs) The author does like it. And so the correct answer here is going to be B, a good argument should explicitly state its goals. Note that I, I do like the should is always something that is a little bit less hard than always or must or necessarily or only or never. Um, should is like opens the door a little bit to like some inconsistencies there, some exceptions. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Getting destroyed here. (laughs) At a meeting of the Modern Language Association, a well-known professor of the digital humanities stated that digital humanists must know how to code. A quote, yacker, would most likely respond that this statement, A, supports oppressive hierarchies in the domain of technology, B, is fair but perhaps too extreme in its insistence on technical proficiency, C, at best misses the point of humanistic engagement with texts, or D, is falsified by the existence of well-known digital humanists who do not know how to code. Oh, man. So the yakkers, again, um, they're the ones who refer to the object of study versus right. the analysis, All right, the understanding, the analysis side. Um, 
Oh, man. A yakker would most likely respond. So oppressive hierarchies seems a little extreme. I don't know if we talked about oppressive hierarchies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're oppressing me, right? That's what they yeah. would shout out to the teacher. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's fair, but perhaps too extreme in its insistence on technical proficiency. Yeah, it seems reasonable, but... Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what they would say. C at best misses the point of humanistic engagement with the texts. Um, okay. The D is falsified by the existence of well-known digital humanists who do not know how to code. I have no idea what this answer is. I gave up on this passage a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't know if we were ever given examples of well-known digital humanists who do not know how to code. So I don't know if we can answer D it, it seems plausible, right? But I, I don't right. know if we were given any information in the passage for that uh, at best misses the point of humanistic engagement with the text um, seems like more of the hacker side of it, the analysis of the texts. And so B I think is maybe the most right answer here. So it is actually C. <sighs> I think you got the hacker yacker thing switched around. Um, and so the hackers are the ones doing all the computational analysis. A yacker is like looking at like how do we engage and like what's the story and the idea and the ant- like the big picture stuff. And so if, if they're like, oh, you have to learn to code, they're going to be like, why? Like that has nothing to do with how I understand mm-hmm. passages. Um, so they're going to say it misses the point of this. Um, yeah. And so C is the correct answer. Note that I think D and B kind of like feel good, but there's nothing in the passage about like these people who know how to code. You like latched onto that really well. They they didn't say anything about B on like, like how difficult and if it's difficult to learn this, you should do it or not. And so like, that's kind of outside this, but they do mention that, like the digital humanities is referring to the object of the study. And so like they care about like what's like what's going on kind of behind the scenes. And so I think there is some idea of this like engagement with the text um, rather than just like plugging it into a computer and analyzing it. So I think that's it for that passage. Rough one. Um, That's so funny. I think the very first two passages we did um, from this exam went really well. And so the last two are much more abstract, a lot more difficult to read. Yep. and not not going as cleanly as those first two. <laughs> that's putting it lightly. I don't think I got any right on this one. So that's a, that was a bad one. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. Again, the MCAT podcast session number 200. Great week for us. Uh, great milestone for the Blueprint team. Go say hello to them. Go follow them on social media. Go let them know that you love listening to this podcast here at MCATpodcast.com. And hopefully you'll stick with us for the next 200. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully you're not studying that long. But if uh, if you're studying in the future for the MCAT podcast, then in the future you'll have a lot of episodes to catch up on. So with that said, again, you can get tons of amazing free resources from Blueprint MCAT, again, formerly known as Next Step Test Prep by going to medicalschoolhq.net slash BP free. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT podcast. This is MedEd Media.